Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. I want to welcome you today to Ivy and I'm excited that it's Eden Sunday when we get opportunity to remember and pray for the incredible work of Eden where people are going into tough places and making them beautiful again. Just, that's what Eden's about. It's, about. it's about bringing God's kingdom from heaven here to earth and seeing transformation. That's really what's taking place on many estates all around the country. We're delighted that we have Sarah Small, who is one of the elders here at Ivy, who's actually the National Director of Eden. We have so many connections into this amazing work over the years, uh, not just here in Mersey Bank, but in various places we support this work in prayer and financially and partnership. So we're delighted to be able to talk about that, about this call that God has put on some people's lives so that they've responded to leave behind somewhere comfortable very often and move into a hard place. Not just because they think it's a good idea, not just because of some social conscience, but because they believe they're hearing God speak to them and they're following the call of Jesus to go into a tough place and that he's actually leading them. And maybe he's going to lead you and me into some tough places too. Perhaps it could be Eden at some point in the future or to support a team like that. They talked about it being downwardly mobile, which is really the path of the cross that Jesus took. And we're going to also start a new series today where we're going to be following along. We're going to be walking in the footsteps of Jesus, if you like, as he went down to the cross before he rose again from the dead. We're going to be following his journey. We're going to be looking at some of the things that he said as we're going now through Lent into Good Friday and Easter Day. We're going to be following Jesus, but actually we're going to be following one step removed in a way because we're going to put our feet not into Jesus's footprints so much as into the footprints of one of his disciples, one of our favourites, I'm sure, for many of us, um, the one who Jesus called Peter. And we're going to see his ups and his downs and his successes and his failures. Simon Peter or Cephas. Simon is the Greek way of saying the Hebrew of his real name, which was Simeon. When Jesus first met Simeon, however, he said, I'm going to change your name. I'm going to call you Cephas from the Aramaic Kepha, which literally means rock or stone. And in lots of ways, Peter was like Rocky, wasn't he? It was like that was his nickname. And, and I, you know, if you've seen any of the Rocky films, the thing about him is he keeps being knocked down, but he keeps on getting back up again. And that's what we love about him too. So from, a, from then on, from that meeting and 156 times afterwards, Simeon is called Peter, the rock. Jesus' nickname for him stuck. And and it's, that's interesting because the change of name does indicate something else too. See, the, the name Simeon or Simon literally means one who listens. But Peter wasn't very good at listening. He was like me. He's often too busy talking. And even when he does talk, when he should be listening, very often he just opens his mouth and puts his foot in it like you and me sometimes do too. That's one of the reasons I know he's one of our favourite people in the Bible. If I was to take a poll of favourite characters in the Bible, I bet you Peter's going to come out there right up at the top. Why? Because we see he's so relatable. And in this series, we're going to follow Jesus as he goes from the cross to resurrection and beyond. 
And remember, he went to the cross not for anything wrong that he'd ever done himself, but he said, I'm going to go and I'm going to be giving my life as a ransom. I'm going to, I'm going to pay the price so that sinners can be set free. And, and, uh, and, and so what we're going to do is follow Jesus on that path, but actually we're going to be following Peter as he follows Jesus because we're going to see what he did right and what he did wrong. We're going to learn from his mistakes. I don't want to make all the mistakes that I'm, you know, I don't want to make them all myself. I'd rather learn from the mistakes of others and we can learn, you know, the Bible says itself, these things are written for our instruction. So we can learn from Peter's life and we can say, what did he get right? What did he get wrong? And we're going to find out what it means to be, and what it meant to him to be a follower of Jesus, a disciple. We're going to follow in Peter's footsteps as he follows Jesus to the cross on Friday and to the grave on Easter Saturday and beyond from Sunday. We're going to see how sticking with Jesus carried Peter through and how his life was not just changed because his name was changed, but because of this walk that he took with Jesus Christ. And it's the same as all of our histories can be changed. When we meet Jesus, when we have a life BC, before Christ, and we have a life AD, how we, JC, how we meet Jesus Christ, and then we have a life AD, the difference it makes afterwards. Have you got that BC, JC, AD story to tell? Peter certainly had. We read about a portion of it now in scripture as we turn to Mark's gospel. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, one of the prophets. What about you, he said, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anybody about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange? for their soul. So we see here in a very short passage how Peter got something right and the next minute he got something very wrong. Like I say, this is why we can relate to Peter so much. He's come to believe Jesus really could be the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. And when he speaks up, well, nobody else will do it, so he decides he will. I'm, I'm like that, even on Zoom. I was on this safeguarding training recently, and the trainer asked a question, and nobody's answering. So I, I put the little hand up, say what I think. And then a few minutes later, they ask another question. It's just totally silent, forever. And I'm like, oh, that's an easy one. Why, but he, why is nobody else saying anything? And I'm starting to twitch a bit, because I answered the last one and fiddling my pen. I'm waiting until eventually I have to say something. 
See, the meeting lasted like a full hour and there were about six times that happened. And guess who was first to answer every single time? And I really, really did try my best to wait honest. So Jesus asked the 12 this question, who do people say that I am? And then he says, who do you say that I am? And it's like this awkward silence and the extrovert started twitching, the introverts are pondering and then the extrovert speaks out, you are the Christ, you're the son of the living God. And he's right. And he's so happy, he got one right. He can never figure out all these parables. And some of it just seems like trick questions because Peter's not a scholar, he's a fisherman. And Jesus told them all to be quiet and not to tell everybody that Peter got the answer right. But how excited would he be right now? Because if he's God, then we're his mates and we get to hang around with him and get to see miracles and do miracles and everything. And it's amazing until Jesus starts to say some terrible things. He starts to tell them really clearly what the road ahead from here looks like, that he's headed to a cross. And this is where he's going, and if they follow him, well, that's where they're going too. Now, adding in what Matthew and Luke in their Gospels recall him saying, it, it, it's basically, like he says, I'm gonna be betrayed and arrested, I'm gonna be lied about, religious leaders are gonna have me killed on a cross, but three days later, I'll rise again. He sees it all clearly and he sets it out clearly. He sets his face towards Jerusalem, towards the cross and beyond. And Peter hears it all, but he's not really listening. We're going to see this over and over again in this series. It's a kind of pattern in his life. Jesus says something amazing. God speaks some revelation. Peter doesn't listen. He's too busy speaking or saying something stupid or at least doing something foolish and over and over again we're going to see this is how he is. So he turns to Jesus who by the way he's just admitted that he believes is God and he takes him to one side to give him some advice saying you're wrong Jesus I know better than you you can't say that you can't go to a cross criminals die on crosses you God remember the Romans can't kill you like that. You can kill them. You can use your power. You can show them all who you are. Then they'll all bow down and worship you. That's the way, the easy way. You'll have loads of followers that way. Massive crowds will come. And that's okay because you can do that thing where we all get to feed them. Everybody like that. I even carry around a little fish butty with me sometimes now just in case you want us to do it again. But Jesus hears and discerns the spirit behind Peter's words. And he's thinking, when the ministry got started, Satan had come offering the easy way, didn't he? He said to him, you can do miracles, get everybody bound down to you. All you have to do is do it the easy way, do it my way, bow down to me as Lucifer. So in front of them all, so everybody knows and hears it, by the way, how would you be with this kind of correction? Would you still stick with him? He says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You better get some God thoughts instead, Peter, instead of relying on your own wisdom all the time. And then next to that, we have a verse I don't need to read because it's memorized for me. My life verse, Mark 8, 34. I don't know if you have a life verse, but when Zoe gave me a Bible, not long after my 21st birthday, I, I thought it was a weird present. I was actually at the lowest, lost, most sinful and selfish and nasty part of my life. I'd recently been beaten up by a gang off duty outside a club when I'd come out of there having a few too many and somebody pointed me out as a policeman. And to be honest, my drinking and life in general was way out of control. I'm not proud of how I treated people at that time. 
I was getting a reputation so bad that Zoe had heard about it. And when we talked and she said she was living for Jesus, I said, well, I'm a, I'm a good person. Might have some religious upbringing. I hadn't read the Bible, but I knew about it. I, I'm a Christian too, because I do my best and I'm better than other people, especially all those people I arrest at work. And then I read the verse that she'd underlined and Jesus cut through all my nonsense, just like he did with Peter. He started to speak to me through this one line, though I didn't understand it. The only line she'd underlined in more than 30,000 verses in the Bible. I read it and I said, I don't know what this means. And she said, the reason you don't know what it means is that you're not a Christian. You're not a follower of Jesus because you're not carrying a cross. She was dead right because if I had been following Jesus, I would never have ended up so lost. It says, then Jesus called the crowd together with his disciples and said to them, if any of you want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Now that told me, you can follow the crowd or the cross and that's the choice we make every single day. Will I follow the crowd or the cross? There was even a crowd who hung around Jesus. Sometimes he got very big. They were waiting for him to feed them again or get something from him. That doesn't mean that you're a disciple. Jesus did miracles for thousands who never became followers, who never became disciples. They left as soon as the going got tough or they got what they needed from him. So it's always the crowd or the cross. And the question is not, do you call yourself a Christian? It's, does Jesus say you're his disciple? And what's the marker of that? How do you know you're his disciple? What marks you out from the crowd? In Luke 14, 27, Jesus said, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot, cannot be my disciple. Jesus was going to Jerusalem, just like he said, he would carry his cross there. And he said, you can tell who my followers are because they will carry their cross too. Now, does that sound like come to Jesus and let him give you a happy life without pain. You'll always prosper. You'll never be touched by anything wrong that happens in this world. No. I don't know if you've ever said yes to Jesus, to following him, even though you have to carry your own cross and go wherever it leads. But he said over and over, we have to count the cost of following him. More than 50 years ago, a writer called A.W. Tozer warned about what was happening in churches around the world. He said this, unannounced and mostly undetected, there has come in modern times a new cross. It is like the old cross, but different. The likenesses are superficial, the difference is fundamental. From this new cross has sprung a new philosophy of the Christian life. It employs the same language as the old, but its content is not the same, and its emphasis is not as before. The new cross is not opposed to the human race, rather it is a friendly pal and the source of oceans of good fun and innocent enjoyment. It lets man live without interference. His life motivation is unchanged. He still lives for his own pleasure. This Christianity makes no unpleasant demands, rather it offers the same thing the world does only on a higher level. The new cross does not slay the sinner, it redirects him and saves his self-respect. 
The Christian message is slanted in the direction of the current vogue in order to make it acceptable to the public. The philosophy behind this may be sincere, but sincerity does not save it from being false. It is false because it is blind. It misses completely the whole meaning of the cross. The old cross is a symbol of death. It stands for the abrupt, violent end of a human being. The man in Roman times who took up his cross and started down the road had already said goodbye to his friends. He was not coming back. He was going out to have it ended. The cross made no compromise, modified nothing, spared nothing. It slew him all completely and for good. It did not try to keep on good terms with its victim. It struck cruel and hard. And when it had finished its work, the man was no more. Tozer said this finally, in coming to Christ, we do not bring our old life up to a higher plane. We leave it at the cross. God offers life, but not an improved old life. The life he offers is life out of death. It stands always on the far side of the cross. End quote. So yes, we count the cost. Will you live for the crowd or the cross? Will you live for comfort or the cross? And then you might think, well, what do I get in return? Because Jesus also said that finding and following him is the pearl of great price. It's like finding treasure in a field. It's worth anything else that you might give up for it. Jesus never seems to think that telling us to take up a cross and follow him is a bad idea or a bad deal. I mean, it's not like any of us actually get a choice about whether or not we'll die, is it? We all will. The choice is whether or not we will die first by dying to that old life so we get a new life that will live forever. For Jesus, discipleship is the, the greatest, most precious opportunity in human life. In the next verse, after telling us to take up our cross, he says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. No choice there. But whoever loses their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and forfeit their soul? He says, just imagine how ridiculous it would be, how stupid you'd feel at the end of your life. What, what good is it for somebody to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? But that's what happens when you put yourself first, when you refuse the cross. See, Peter can only focus on what he thinks he's going to lose. Another time we read, he says to Jesus, well, Lord, we've given up everything to follow you. And Jesus just sees that as totally reasonable. He says, you know, great swap, Peter. A missionary called Jim Elliot has become famous for the words that he wrote in his journal one day. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Soon after, he and his five young friends were martyred, killed by the very tribe they were trying to reach with the good news of Jesus. And one day in heaven, if we get to spend some of our eternity bumping into Jim Elliot and asking him about it, I bet Elliot will say, yeah, great swap, totally worth it. I'm so glad I didn't lose my soul and gain the world. We might think of it at times as a high cost, an exorbitant cost to take up our cross and follow him. But Jesus took up his cross, Hebrew says, for the joy that was before him. He saw what was coming. So he says to you and me and Peter and anybody who wants to be his disciple, yes, Pay the totally worth it cost. Because if you want to succeed in discipleship, it has to be the most important thing in your life. I have to be number one or else you'll lose. You lose out on everything that I've got for you by trying to keep hold 
of, to keep control of your old life. Throughout the pandemic, I've heard a lot about decisions having to be made on the basis of weighing up the cost versus the benefit. Right into the Philippians, the Apostle Paul said he lost everything. He says it cost everything to gain Christ, but he considered everything else loss compared with that gain. Totally worth it, he said. Philippians 3 verse 8, it says, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain, gain Christ. He's like, totally worth it. If anybody actually understood the cost versus the benefit, you wouldn't let anything get in the way of losing every bit of this old life to gain everything that the new life offers. Yes, there's a cost of following and being a disciple, but there's a much greater cost of not doing. I'm not even talking about whether somebody says they've prayed the prayer and so they will have their sins forgiven and not be in hell but in heaven and become a Christian. I'm concerned for people who right now are not paying the price of discipleship. When you put your cross down on the ground, when you say, oh, it's too heavy, oh, it gives me splinters, before long you'll start to pay the price of non-discipleship because you will go back to the old life because now you're in charge again of your life whether or not you want to admit it Jesus isn't and walking without a cross means you get further away from the path of Jesus and that will lead to alienation and pain and sin shame confusion just because you're living by your own strength and your own wisdom unless we listen to the Holy Spirit, drawing us back by his kindness and repentance. The worst thing that could happen, therefore, is that you will gain the whole world and be happy in it and go along with it, but lose Jesus. It's the crowd or the cross. Which way do we go? Follow the crowd. You might gain the whole world that way at the cost of your soul. Follow the Christ and take up your cross. Pay the price of discipleship and you get the kingdom, you get Jesus, you get everlasting life, totally worth it. Whatever you lose is gain. See, Satan did a number on Peter and confused his thinking about the cross-bearing, cross-shaped life of discipleship. The devil wants you and me to look at the cross at discipleship and think, it's, it's grim. But Jesus' cross was gain. That's what Paul said. He bore that cross all the way. Nothing would stop him from carrying it. He carried the cross, Jesus carried the cross of sin and sickness, shame and death, the cross of punishment, of God's wrath against the evil, hate and cruelty in our hearts and in the world. He carried that cross. Nobody else could carry that. Nobody else could carry our sins away. But then he says, and now you have to carry your own cross. But it's not the cross that he carried. He's already done that. He's carried away our sins and our guilt. We don't have to carry that weight anymore. All that sin that weighed us down, all those regrets, that, everything that would drag us down to hell. What's the cross that we bear? Well, he told us in Matthew chapter 11, 28 to 13. We're offered it now as we pray, and, and I'm going to invite you to exchange everything that we've been carrying for what he wants us to bear instead. Listen, as Jesus says this to you, he says, come to me all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke, the cross he gives you to bear, is easy, 
and my burden is light. He says, here's your cross. He says, come to me, all you who are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. This is how we follow. We take the load he gives us and we carry it. And as we walk with him, he even takes the weight of that. So let's pray, Lord, we come to you now and we get into the harness with you and we want to seek first your kingdom and learn to live with you and walk with you. And as we follow you in this life and in the next, we realise, we remember how, how much you've carried for us, how much you love us that you would do that so we can now rest secure in that love forever. You went to the cross, you died for our sins, you paid the price for our sins. So with gratitude and faith, we say, Lord, I need you to wash away all my sins with your blood. I want to lose my old life right now. As Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ and the life I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then I see next to your crosses, whatever you want me to carry. And it may be a hard life now at times, but it's an easy yoke forever. So I say, thank you, Lord. It's totally worth it. Totally worth it all to gain life by following you forever. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org media.